to think about the whole identity attack surface as the things on SSO and the things not on SSO or that aren't there yet and think about those two different things. And, and as you said, password reuse is a big one for everything that's outside of SSO. Like we saw uh, you know, a big breach recently where there was credential stuffing. Someone took leaked credentials and sprayed them across all the online applications to gain access to lots of accounts. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Adam Bateman, CEO and co-founder at Push Security, based in the UK. Another one of my cyber friends from across the pond. Adam is the former director at, at the security consultancy MWR, who were renowned in the industry for their specialized research and red team capability. Now, Adam started off as a red teamer himself, and then he went on to build and lead the detection and response division over at MWR. And they specialize in defending organizations against state-sponsored attacks. So this is real red team stuff. Uh, Adam came up in the world of offensive security. Obviously, it shows in his thinking. He co-founded Push to protect SaaS native companies whose data resides in, uh, and this is my phrasing here, a bazillion places protected by a bazillion identities. That's a quantitative number on this show. Uh, and maybe it's just by SSO, right? Or maybe it's a mix. Probably you have a half a bazillion known SaaS apps using SSO and another, hopefully, only half a bazillion uh, using who knows what identity methods, right? So after my first chat with Adam, I really got to thinking about this idea that we, you know, we bandy about in this industry. We always say that uh, identity is the new perimeter. Or identity is the next perimeter. And I'm wondering if that's really the right model. Is it a complete model? Are there better models to describe our SaaS sprawl? Um, you know, it's a security problem out there for sure. Um, I posted my ideas on LinkedIn, and LinkedIn got very vigorously into the conversation. It was a great thread. And I thought Adam and I could record a show, hash out some of these concepts, and Adam agreed. So here we are, Adam. Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Hey, Alan. I've been looking forward to this conversation, so thanks for having me on. Thank you. All right, in one sense, vulnerable Internet-facing credentials have always been a problem, right? This was a theme that, that got brought up on LinkedIn, um, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit as we go further. But this idea that identity has always been the perimeter, or at least the attack surface, right? I think that was one critical part of the debate is perimeter versus attack surface. But... Ultimately, what we're saying is identity is not the new perimeter, but rather an old one. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, you, you can't deny that vulnerable internet-facing credentials have been around for, well, as long as security, probably. <laughs> the, the industry has a, a good way of liking to, well, not, not just the security industry, but tech industry in general about reinventing things. But I would argue that although it's been around for a long time, I would argue not at this scale and... Really, I think why people are talking about identity so much is it's now becoming a primary attack vector. Like it's a, it's come to the forefront, and there's a lot more identities. So the attack surface has got a lot bigger. Whereas in the past, I think it was one of the options. So if you think about the classic network-based perimeter, you know you might scan across a load of public IP address ranges with open services, and you might exploit a vulnerable service one of the options might be that you find a user account which is vulnerable and you can use that and you can get access to it. So yeah, like, they've definitely like been RDP around for a long time. exposed or you know whatever the whatever Citrix the old servers, stuff is. Yeah. Yeah, or OWA and that kind of stuff. But I think the big difference is 
really two things. One is that now everyone's shifted everything into the cloud. And so do attackers need to touch your infrastructure at all where your detection capability currently exists? Or can they just go directly from them to the cloud? Um, and right now, there's very little detection capability there. So you just take out, effectively take out the middleman, right? So I think one part of it is the visibility, the fact that the attackers can go straight to the clouds. Uh, and the second part is really just there's just loads more, right? Because the the front door to pretty much all cloud services is just identity. There's nothing really uh, other than that. So yeah, I, I think like if you think about it in terms of internet-facing credentials having always been around, absolutely. But I do think that you know it's it marks the beginning of a new era, which I think as an industry we really should now pay a lot of attention to and and you know jump in the ring to help to help sort of progress this side. Yeah, so expanded attack surface and outside of our traditional detection capabilities is kind of the the the, the one-two punch that the bad guys are taking advantage of. So speaking of, uh, in the wild, in this year, this is the, you know, we're recording at nearly the very end of the year here. 2023 was a doozy for attacks. Uh, I don't want to pick on any companies. I don't like to name names, but we know there was a very popular identity uh, company that was part of this. There were some other big firms, big entities that had identity-based attacks. Um, so so kind of give us give us the rundown on what was the reality of 2023 identity-based attacks this year. Yeah, so I, I, the way I, I think about this, we've definitely seen the last, I'd say the last year, the attacks in this kind of identity space have been much more active. I think CrowdStrike themselves put a report out this year saying 80% of attacks are now identity-based. And if you look back through their threat report, it sort of shows a climb each year. So it's definitely been building over time. But just something the last six months, it seems to be a bit of a hockey stick. And it's not really unusual, right? Because I've spent a long time either simulating advanced attacks or or detecting them. And what tends to happen is a group will prove that it's a particular attack technique or method is effective and then other people follow uh, and so attribution is really difficult you know is it one group doing it all or is it multiple groups copying each other we're not sure but it does seem like the beginning of you know an important trend here so yeah i mean generally what what we're seeing happen is uh groups i think the famous group people are talking about at the moment is scattered spider um, and that's mainly because their primary mo is in this this space and what they seem to be doing is targeting SSO credentials directly, uh, which obviously is key to the kingdom. If you gain access to the SSO provider, um, I know Okta's come under fire a lot, but to be honest, it's true for any single sign-on. Um, sure, the issue sure. is you gain you're access the, to you're that. You're at the core of it all. You're the biggest target on planet Earth. Absolutely. It's, the, it's like the modern domain administrator. Right? You go straight for the keys of the kingdom. You have access to everything beneath it. Uh, and then, yeah, once you, once you gain access to that, you... Uh, you can start leveraging all the cloud infrastructure internally and you can start pulling all the data out. You can use it for data ransom. And so, yeah, we've seen attackers doing things like, you know, ransomware attacks, which used to take days and within the cloud, they can do them in, in hours. And I think it's because it's a much more predictable, much more predictable infrastructure. Right? They're, they're pre-equipped with pre-written scripts, which can talk to APIs. So once you've got access initial access you can like run these scripts to automate a lot of tasks and it's very very easy to exfiltrate data from the cloud uh, and the detection capability there is really really limited it's right, so right, very right. very our, difficult our east west traffic to... sas to sas is almost non-monitored and almost everywhere <laughs> yeah right? and I, yeah i think i think it's and the, the lack of visibility is I, again i see that in two categories one is that the attacks aren't yet well enough understood and the second thing is that the visibility is a lot lot more limited it's only recently that you know 
Microsoft 365 have given you access to decent logging on a, on a, on a sensible tier. And if you go outside of that to the less critical SaaS apps, you know, like support systems we've, we've heard a bit about um, recently, the logging is almost non-existent there. Um, but even what it is, the bigger problem is that I, I think there's a sort of disconnect in using your IDP to do, to do detection, right? Because you think when a targeted attacker compromises the identity provider, that identity provider can no longer be trusted. And so all they do is turn off logging or they put rules in to sort of hide the activities they're doing. So in a traditional sense, if you had a network IDS, you'd add it to a span port and so that you could trust the data that came out of the detection capability because of the fact that the network it's monitoring is compromised. But at the moment, there seems to be this kind of blend where attackers compromise the IDP and the IDP is the thing doing the detection. And so it's just, yeah, again, it's a double whammy, really. Yeah, um, we need that spam port equivalent. And and you mentioned all these, um, I guess we'll call them the lesser tier, you know, SaaS apps that don't do the logging. Uh, I did a thought exercise last night. Uh, I sat down and looked at Alan Alford Consulting and what am I subscribed to SaaS-wise. I got to, I think, like 11 that I remembered, and then I started thinking of ones that I couldn't think of. I literally had to pull out my password vault last night, go through one entry at a time, and be like, oh, yeah, that's a SaaS thing I'm subscribed to. Oh, yeah, there's another one. Over 20. I am a one-man consultancy subscribed to over 20 different SaaS apps. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what about the average enterprise? Like, I was joking about a, baz- uh, a bazillion being a real number. I mean, that may not be too far off. Do, do we have stats on that? What's the average, you know, number of SaaS platforms at an, at an enterprise, at a mid-market? Like, what, what are these guys up against? If I'm up against 20, they must be up against some ridiculous number. Like hundreds. Yeah, hundreds. I mean, it's... The, the the science guy in me <laughs> wants to it you know when i think about actual accurate data there it's it's a blurry line like i i think the mo- the best source i found is even just on statistica people said that the average number of uh, SaaS applications is about 300 but i mean across even just our customer base uh, we we see people have in the t- into the thousands so e- even the total number of available SaaS applications is a blurry line because you have to think about what you define as SaaS, like we think about SaaS as any online web application which has business purpose, right? So we wouldn't include, you know, FT dot kind of Financial Times in that, or like that kind of thing, or a train booking websites. But you would include even more trivial things like DocuSign, right up to the you know the main things like yeah. So and, I mean, and we I had we're three or four of those signing ones, like like you know, like I'm I'm subscribed to multiple signing ones because it's a small business. I don't know how what how to interchange with whom. I just sign up for another service when that's the one they use. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we so we uh, push right. We're a fairly new early stage startup, and uh, we're less than fifty people. We currently are tracking 159 applications. We use all of them, um, and that only includes the ones that we're really really using and. You know, outside of that, the team sign up and experiment with lots of different applications all the time. Um, and you know, while the team's small, you can say to them, "Look, don't put company data in there." But the thing that's kind of interesting we find with larger organizations is that people will sign up to applications on their own because you know, I, I, I talk to security teams a lot, and they say, "Look, we've got a policy in place that says you know people can't sign up to apps, and people are good; they do follow the process." The flaw in the thinking is two things again: is one is that very non-technical folks don't think about SaaS as bringing software into the company, right? They just think, I need to get my job done. Oh, here's a website. Uh, I'm I'll in marketing. I'm putting together this presentation. We need some new icons. There's a there's a SaaS app 
out there that just dumps and delivers icons and I'm just going to go sign up for it and use my card. Exactly. Yeah, exactly that. And and so uh, I think this is a, a very important discussion when it comes to identity security, because absolutely, you're moving all your things onto the cloud and you should get all those things behind SSO. And yes, it's a single point of failure, but also you can lock those things down and you can centrally enforce your controls. However, that paradigm has lent itself from our, the one we're used to, which is, you know, domain controllers are a central place to enforce security controls. And we're used to the central enforcement model, and that's been migrated to the cloud. But the other trend that's happening is that the world is going very, very self-service. So employees will just come out of a meeting and go, right, I'll take an action to go and solve this problem. And they'll sign up to an app and I'll put data in it. And they won't even know they're doing anything wrong. Even if they do, and they're more savvy and they think, okay, well, you know, I really should tell security about this. What we find is that people will follow the process, but the the point at which they let security know is a lot later than people think because people kind of go, oh, I'm testing this at the moment. When I'm certain I want to use it, then I'll put it through the place that's been defined. So by that time, it's under five apps. And these applications, like they have dedicated growth teams because there's a real drive in the industry called product-led growth, right? Where marketing teams will allow for the self-service. So what happens is that we find that um, these products really entice you to connect and upload real data and get real experiences. And a lot of the times they'll block you during the sign-up process unless you connect. So marketing teams you mentioned is a really big one. So they tend to connect the things they already have access to. So they'll sign up and then connect to all their social media accounts, uh, at which point you're you know, increasing the attack surface. And then there's lots of identities being created outside of your scope and they get abandoned. But those, you know, tens of identities that are being created without any centrally forced security controls are still now part of your attack service, which attackers can pick off and take data. And and password reuse matters more than it ever did. Like don't, don't reuse passwords is an even stronger rule now. But how do we do it? How do we get everything behind SSO? And then how do we harden SSO? Because that's really, that's the challenge, right? Yeah, I, I think I think it's good to think about the whole identity attack surface as the things on SSO and the things not on SSO or that aren't there yet and think about those two different things. And, and as you said, password reuse is a big one for everything that's outside of SSO. Like we saw uh, you know, a big breach recently where there was credential stuffing. Someone took leaked credentials and sprayed them across all the online applications to gain access to lots of accounts wild the amount of you know who has visibility of that kind of thing right you you can't get logs to be able to cross correlate login events from multiple different SaaS applications to know so the best source i've seen around credential stuffing uh, is actually a, a report from auth zero so auth zero they're owned by okta and they effectively provide you know login service for multiple SaaS vendors uh, they released a report and they said 34 percent of all the login events they see across their platform is actually credential stuffing. So password reuse across all of that stuff is uh, is kind of important. So yeah, so I think it comes down to the first step, as always, is visibility, right? You can't defend what you don't know. So understand the all the apps that employees are accessing, which ones are on SSO, which ones aren't, and then move those over onto SSO on a continual basis. And if you can't, then continue to monitor the identity so you can see which ones are uh, are weak and yeah, just try and fix them so the attackers can't take them out and, and get access to data. And now for a brief word from our sponsor. You've probably noticed the uptick in identity-based attacks recently hitting the headlines. 
If you're working like crazy trying to get everything behind SSO and trying to make sure that everyone's using strong passwords and MFA and password managers, then this one is for you. Push Security helps you to monitor and secure your entire identity attack surface, including non-SSO identities. Get notified in real time to vulnerabilities across all your internet-facing identities. What's more, Push then guides your employees to fix simple issues so your team can carry on fixing everything else. Want to check it out? Head to pushsecurity.com slash ranch. So, so I, you know, I've got a, I've got a saying on this show that I've been ranting about or bandying about or however you want to phrase it, depending on, on, on your view of my intensity on the subject. Uh, there's no such thing as shadow IT. What there is is business aligned IT. In other words, we, we, we call it shadow and we act as if they're the bad guys, you know, oh, how dare you go create shadow IT? No, how, how dare we not keep up with business need is the reality. But I think in the SaaS world, that's no longer a fair comparison. I was thinking about this the other day. We don't, we can't keep up anymore. Hey, I need some icons. And then they, there's already a SaaS app to just go grab some icons. Hey, I need a quick PowerPoint template. There's a SaaS app for that. Hey, I just need to um, real quick see what the email address of this one client is that I don't have, but I know he works over such and such. There's an app for that. I, I think the ease of use and the ease of consumption and the highly specialized niche nature of each of these apps, like I, I don't think it's fair to beat security and IT up anymore. We, we can't predict what the users are going to want. What we have to do is, like you said, follow along behind and as quickly as possible get everything rolled into SSO. But we're never going to get in front of this. The toothpaste is out of the tube. We can't get in front of it anymore. A hundred percent, yeah. I, I think um, for, for a long, long time, I mean, when I got into security many years ago, it was all about, I think the attacks were coming up and no one really understood them. And I think at that point, security teams had a bit of bit more bit more control to sort of enforce stuff. So you were kind of stop the train, you know, check everything was all right and go, okay, you can move on again now. Whereas now the is the the way that the security needs to be is you jump on a moving train, do what you need to do, and you get back off again without, you know, stopping the the business from, from moving exactly. forward. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, like security is an an enabler. That's the thing. So and I think it's a really interesting thing for us to think about as an industry because this is like a big, big phase we're going into now, both because attackers are training this way, but also because, of, as you said, the way employees want to consume software. And we decided to jump in the ring and help with this problem. We really encourage other people to do this as well because I think it's important. But um, yeah, the, the way I think about it now is like this, is kind of how do you, if we were in a position where we were used to doing central enforcement of security controls and now IT has become decentralized because of its distributed nature. How do we decentralize security? Um, and so uh, when it comes to identities, ultimately the people who own the identities are the employees. And so what we believe in a lot is, I don't know if any of you have seen the great work that Netflix did many, many years ago, which got a lot of buzz in fairly niche circles and I think should have got a lot more attention. But they defined a process called user-focused security where they would actually um, effectively equip employees to take action on their own devices. And so they give them a web interface and a browser extension, which as employees tried to visit certain systems, it would say, hey, here's the health of your current, uh, your current laptop. We empower you to go fix this. Uh, and we think that you know, in a decentralized nature when it comes to identities, that's a really powerful model, right? Because you can start to say to employees, hey, look, go for it. Like, we want you to adopt a new SaaS to do your job. But as you do this, we're going to prompt you and say, whoa, this app actually, you know, this you've just signed up to this, but 
you know, don't put, please use it in this way. Don't put this company data in it. Or you've actually reused this with your Microsoft 365 account or your GCP account or whatever it might be, or you need to enable MFA. Here's how you do this. Um, so like decentralized security and pushing it back down to the user is, I think, has a lot of promise in this new model. Yeah, and, and it almost feels like, you know, and we don't often name name brands on this show. We try to avoid that. But it feels like just have a giant bucket of UB keys ready to go. <laughs> you know, like, hey, everyone, feel free to SSO your your stuff all, all over the place. But here's your UB key and here's how to use it and get used to using it on, on, a, on a per app basis and get yourself set up. I mean, and I guess maybe the fallback is, you know, like the authenticator app on the phone. But it just feels to me like, Everybody should have and know how to use YubiKeys, and that's half the battle right there. Does that sync? Does, does that sync with uh, with your thinking? Yeah, it's it's a pretty um, yeah. The security community is there's a lot of faith in sort of hardware based MFA, you know, um, phishing resistant MFA methods, and that is definitely the way to go. So I think if you were in a perfect world, what would happen? You'd have every you'd have visibility of everything every employee was signing up to. You get it all behind SSO. You would enforce hardware-based authentication that's phishing resistant and have a single identity per employee that accesses everything downstream. That's the perfect world. Problem is that it's a little bit like saying, oh, I don't, I'm never going to get attacked because I just patch everything. Or like, I'm never going to get attacked because I can just fix all my passwords. I think the issue is, is that life happens <laughs> and like you know people you just it just doesn't work that well unfortunately like very few SaaS applications like less than a third have any support for saml um if you you know if you disable and uh and it, so if you add an app onto sso you can some in some cases still log in with the local account uh, a lot of the individual SaaS applications don't have any support for things like yubikeys it's a bit of big mix of uh, of different things that are happening, and then even on your SSO provider, you often end up with a situation where I don't know IT team makes an exception to a team for the weekend, or like drags them into a an OU, which suddenly disables uh, that strong authentication method, right? The or or, or drops it from mandatory to optional, or yeah, exactly. Uh, and and I'll I'll rant. I'm not going to name which one of the most popular, uh, you know. Uh, environments is out there for your core identity, but there's one product I use on the regular that if you have uh, a regular account, you can say MFA enforced and life is good. But if you have an administrative account, they force you to have a secondary MFA option. And of course, what they suggest is email and phone. So administrator accounts are actually weakened because everyone knows email and phone can be impersonated much more readily than, a, than an actual authenticator app. So it, it floors me. Uh, every time I log in with my elevator permissions account, I have to click skip on the whole setup your cell phone. You know, I'm like, no, I, I want to be in a state where if I don't have the one MFA I have, I'm locked out. Sorry, we have other administrators. We can live with that. And, and they're constantly trying to force me to enter my cell phone. It drives me bonkers. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> sorry, yeah. total aside, just no, daily no, it's life a, it's aside. A good point. It's, always, it's a classic usability versus security debate, right? It's like hardware-based tokens across everything is the ultimate way to go, but you just end up with loads of problems where you're like, you know, I need to use my mobile to access something. Okay, let's punch a hole in it to access a particular application. But um, I think anything outside of that, like, you know, push notifications, anything email sms based they're just very very easy for these attackers to to get around like there's lots of techniques now that have emerged that have made it super simple to 
to get around those sorts of things. Yeah, so. well, and there's the what do they call it? Uh, MFA push fatigue, I think, was the phrase where they're just they're just bullying users into going ahead and clicking accept, even though they're not the ones logging in at the moment, and users are just going okay. Yeah, um, three in the morning, hit yeah, the snooze exactly. button. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's actually I don't know if you've seen. Um, there's actually more no novel equivalents to, to those as well now. Um, and one of the ones uh, we saw is a, what they call a browser in browser attack. So they're actually set up a. So you, you basically what you do is you have a the attacker has a, a you know a machine online somewhere like a Linux box or whatever, and then you fire open a browser, browse to the victim's SSO login page, and then you put it in kiosk mode. So once it's in kiosk mode, you come back to your laptop and remote desktop in, and now obviously what you can see is a full screen browser. But you don't need to run the remote desktop software on your laptop because there's a JavaScript equivalent called NoVNC. So you actually then move that into the browser and then you send the victim that link, right? So it what happens totally to the victim legit. opens? Feels totally exactly. legit. Oh. Yeah, they see the actual login page they're familiar with, but what they're doing is enter their credentials onto an attacker-controlled device where you can key log it, you can steal the session token, you can do whatever you like, right? So it's just a cat and mouse game that keeps going. But um, yeah, at, at the moment, hardware-based authentication it's kind of the best we've got, but you have to offset that with usability and flexibility in the company. So, yeah, I get it. I get it. So, so I started at the beginning of the show. I mentioned the LinkedIn crowd. I wanted to give a shout out to some folks here. This is kind of back to this identity uh, is the new perimeter thing. So, J. David Christensen uh, agrees with the idea that identity is not a new perimeter. He says it's always been the perimeter. Uh, Jameer Fisher agreed. Robert uh, Mitchell pointed out that if an identity provider can be compromised, then identity is now the M&M defense. We're back to the hard shell soft center, right? Pop the identity and, and everything's everything's free and accessed on the inside. And then uh, my friend Abhishek Singh says that AuthZ, I loved this one, AuthZ and AuthN combine to form what he calls zero trust, right? Like that's his definition of zero trust, AuthN and AuthZ combined. And once you have zero trust, he says, like it or lump it, Identity is the attack surface, period, end of discussion. In other words, if you get a, a, an effective zero-trust strategy, you are most certainly signing up for um, identity is the is the attack surface. And um, I thought that was a good summation. My friend Dan Holden also kind of chimed in with a similar point on that one. So, yeah, what's your take on that? Zero-trust equals identity as attack surface. Yeah, I, I think it's a brilliant way to summarize it, as you said. It's, it's interesting because we work with lots of different types of companies right some very large um more what you consider more traditional enterprise uh, but also very very new cloud and SaaS native companies and they tend to be startups you know fintechs those sorts of things and and the people that that really get this not i mean they get it equally but what i mean is it's they default understand it are the cloud native startups because you go to them and say hey you know do you know your employees are signing up to SaaS? And they go, yeah, like we are all SaaS. Like we don't have a network. You know, there there is nothing else. We're a bunch of MacBooks. Some of them are just completely Chromos devices. So it's not even, you know, not even that worthwhile running an EDR. So the whole attack surface is nothing but cloud and SaaS, which is effectively like just zero trust by default if you sort of right, it's like right. there isn't another model yeah so it's so when you're that if you think and not every company is that purely in that model but everyone is now a hybrid of it so but it, it, it sort of helps to picture these new emerging companies that like that because there are a lot of them like all new startups look that way i can attest to that um, in my daily life 
Yeah, exactly. Your your company's like it as well, as is mine. So so it's it's kind of interesting because it doesn't mean that endpoint attacks are gonna go away. But when you think of it that way, what is the main attack surface for a company like that? It is identities and they they just inherently operate as zero trust. Uh, and so that's why I think uh, you know we're moving now into a very interesting new phase of the company, which is kind of under. Uh, sorry, we're now moving into a very interesting phase of the industry, which is now you know kind of underdeveloped. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to jump in and research and progress this part for the industry to make it better before you know get it, stay ahead of attackers. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that fully. And and I want to point out one thing, and this is my last question for you, and I just this is one of my things. Anytime identity is brought up, we always talk about Okta. We always talk about uh, M365. We always talk about the humans and their logins and their OUs and their groups and their da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I always feel the need to point out that humans are just some of the identities crawling around in our digital world, right? Um, are the solutions we're crafting for humans... Uh, that are using these SaaS apps, are these same solutions good for the machine accounts, for the application accounts, for the API to API connections? Like, we have non-human identity all over the place, and and I fear that that gets neglected a lot when identity conversations take place. Yeah, it definitely does. And it, it, it's, it's a tougher problem to get visibility of. So, the, you know, the way that we think that human identity is the best way to, to look over those is using a browser extension plug into the browser you can actually observe what people are logging into and see those identities and flag them um, but when it comes to machine identities people aren't actively logging into those through the browsers so it becomes harder so you need actual direct integrations with the platforms in order to see those so things things like oauth have been a good you know a help here because even though the authentication level is the same the authorization is a lot better like you're actually you're effectively able to you know, if with a bit of education and making sure that the IT admins uh, know what they're doing with it, they can you can set up APIs that aren't just right access everything. You know, you can actually define scopes to to provide actual information. But tracking what machine identities exist remains a big challenge unless the the SaaS vendors are sophisticated enough to actually expose that information through the API. So, but I do think though that when it comes to initial access we can relax a little more the machine identities, right? And that even though they're harder to detect, it kind of also means they're less exposed. So what I mean is human identities can be exposed through phishing and people can leave them on in clear text on their laptops and everything. Whereas machine identities tend to be fewer, tend to be handled by more technical people, tend to be kind of much more, you know, randomly generated and harder to guess. They're not exposed as much. Um, so, so just for, from an initial access perspective, it's kind of a little bit better. The The place where machine identities, I think, are a huge problem is instant response. So, you know, if you're in a position where you do gain initial access to a company through a human generator, uh, a human identity, a human-owned identity, and then once you're in the application, you create API keys and use that to persist the applications, it's a really good way of persisting very, very stealthily in lots of SaaS applications at scale, because if someone comes across those identities, um, those API keys, they're kind of nervous just to delete them because they don't know what they're, they're going to break. Covering your tracks is a little harder. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you go in and you, you could sort of script it up and create API keys across everything. You go in and you cycle out all of your SSO uh, identities and lock all the accounts down, but the attacker's still got access via these machine identities. So yeah, it's a whole area that needs, needs looking at in the industry as well, for sure. 
It, it does indeed. It does indeed. Well, Adam Bateman, CEO and co-founder at Push Security, I want to thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.